Well, good morning. When Jesus entered the world, everything changed. As we were singing today and in so many of these songs, that love came down, right? That love, his love awakens each and every one of us. When Jesus entered this world, everything changed. And I don't mean that all the news outlets were covering what happened or that he was all over, the, over social media or people were making gifts or memes of Jesus's coming. I mean that everything changed in an eternal manner. Not in a way where things change and we forget about them the next day. Yeah, we're, we're happy the day things change and then the worries of life take over. I'm not talking about that kind of change. I'm saying that when Jesus came eternally, permanently, and in an everlasting sense, things changed. He wasn't just a prominent historical figure or some son of a king in some country over there. When Jesus entered this world, our world, everything changed. Now in John, uh, in 1 John 4, we read that God is love and, and that he was made flesh in the person of Jesus. So when Jesus was born into this world, what we need to understand is that it was his love that changed everything. Now, if you were with us last week, we talked about how the people of God experienced a 400-year silence. And that 400-year silence was broken when John the Baptist was born. When his father, Zechariah, came out of the temple, mute and unable to talk, the people started to wonder whether or not God was up to something, right? So when, when Zechariah emerged, unable to talk, this wasn't just some story that we read or some obscure sense where someone came out and all of a sudden they couldn't talk. No, this literally sent shockwaves throughout Israel because there, were, there had been 400 years of silence, and then suddenly it seemed like anticipation had finally made a return and that hope was awake again. So last week when we examined as a church Mary's response to God selecting her, um, let's actually, let's, let's turn to Luke chapter 1 and let's look at the events surrounding that so that we can just see how much love stirs us to action when it entered this world. All right, so Luke chapter 1, I'll be reading from verse 39. So this is the context of what happened last week. In those days, Mary set out and hurried to a town in the hill country of Judah where she entered Zechariah's house and greeted Elizabeth. When Elizabeth heard Mary's greeting, the baby leaped inside her, and Elizabeth, Elizabeth was filled with the Holy Spirit. Then she exclaimed with a loud cry, Blessed are you among women, and your child will be blessed. How could this happen to me, that the mother of my Lord should come to me? For you see, when the sound of your greeting reached my ears, the baby leaped for joy inside of me. Blessed is she who has believed that the Lord would fulfill what he has spoken to her. And in verse 56, and Mary stayed with her for about three months, then she returned to her home. As we'll discover in, as we discovered in these verses and throughout this narrative that we're going to be looking at today, uh, love stirs us to action. That's our first point. Love stirs us to action. Love isn't passive. Love is active. You need to love 
actively. And when you're loved, what happens is that this stirs you to action, right? True love will stir you to action, does it not? Because of my love for Christina, I transferred universities. We met on a mission trip and and we dated one year long distance. And because of my love for her, I moved across the country from Vancouver all the way to Ottawa. From Vancouver, which is one of the consistently ranked top 10 cities in the entire world, right? Not North America, like in the entire world to Ottawa where it's flat, no mountains. Well, they call it mountains, but it's really hills. And where it gets to minus 30 degrees in the winter. Celsius. Now, if you don't know Celsius, when it's cold, minus 30 Celsius, it really doesn't matter whether it's Celsius or Fahrenheit. It's just cold. And you shouldn't, no human should be there. Right? I move from beauty to, you know, barrenness (laughs) in the weather because of love. Right? Because of love, we sold everything that we had and, and left it all when we believed God was calling us to Korea. Because of love, we moved. Because of love, apparently, if you're a parent, you spend close to $300,000 per child from birth to 17 years old. Right? You're like, kid, you better be grateful. <laughs> I am not charging you interest. Um, Because of love, when our life group members are sick, when our family is sick, when our friends are sick, we'll help them, right? Because love stirs us to action. When we look at this passage, we see that love is stirring these people as well, right? As we just read, love stirred Elizabeth to prophesy, And love stirred John the Baptist to leap inside her womb as he was filled with the Holy Spirit. Right? Luke 1, 41 to 45, right? We see those, we see that in these verses that that the baby leaped inside of her. Right? That the baby leaped inside of her. We see in the verses before that, Luke 1, 34 to 38, that love stirred Mary at Gabriel's pronouncement. Love stirred her to accept the unique calling and role that God was calling her to fulfill here. Love stirred Mary to accept the fact that everything was going to change. She was potentially going to be ostracized and falsely accused. Yet love not only stirred her to action, but gave her courage and peace in the midst of turmoil. At the same time, love is stirring Joseph as well. Right, we see this in Matthew chapter 1, uh, starting from verse 18. This is the same situation, but we now see instead of, you know, Mary's interaction with Elizabeth, we see Joseph's interaction with Mary at a different time. So Matthew 1, verse 18, the birth of Jesus Christ came about this way. After his mother, Mary, had been engaged to Joseph, it was discovered before they came together that she was pregnant from the Holy Spirit. So her husband, Joseph, being a righteous man and not wanting to disgrace her publicly, decided to divorce her secretly. But after he had considered these things, an angel of the Lord appeared to him in a dream saying, Joseph, son of David, don't be afraid to take Mary as your wife. Because what has been conceived in her is from the Holy Spirit. She will give birth to a son and you are to name him Jesus because he will save his people from their sins. Now all this took place to fulfill what was spoken by the Lord 
through the prophet. See, the virgin will become pregnant and give birth to a son, and they will name him Emmanuel, which is translated, God is with us. When Joseph woke up, he did as the Lord's angel had commanded him, right? Love stirred Joseph to action. He married her, but did not have sexual relations with her until she gave birth to a son, and he named him Jesus. Love stirred Joseph to accept a future with Mary that by all accounts from human perspective was the most foolish thing to do. Interestingly, when we look at every, all the events surrounding the birth of Jesus, the birth of John, we see that the people were also being stirred as well. But I'm not sure if that stirring was out of love. Let's just consider what's happening between Mary and Joseph, right? So betrothal in their day was legally more binding than engagement in our day. During betrothal, she, Mary spent the year in purity, right? She was not living together with Joseph. They were not sexually relating. And so that's, you know, they spent a year in purity. And, and Joseph spent the year preparing their home together, usually an extension onto the in-law's house. So once married, the male, this is what would have happened in that day, the male uh, would be unable to work for an entire year because the village would care for them. And they did that year so that their marriage covenant would be solidified and and he'd be available uh, to his wife, that the relationship would be strengthened. This betrothal, this relationship was usually established by parents when they were about 12 or 13 years old and, and was dismissed only by death or public divorce. So when we look at what happens here, right, in Matthew 1, we see that Mary was pregnant and in, in light of the fact that she was pregnant and this not from Joseph, Joseph did the honorable, he was going to do the honorable thing to, to privately divorce her to save her from stoning. But the fact is, Even if he did that, Joseph and Mary both would have been disgraced, right? They both would have been disgraced and people would have had the right to kill her. This culturally and socially could have ruined Joseph and Mary, right? Joseph would have, would have been seen as foolish, undisciplined. He would have been shunned by the community and, and Mary would have been disgraced as a bride and disrespected uh, from the home that she came from and probably unable to marry again. Mary would have been seen as promiscuous, a promiscuous harlot shunned by everyone around her. Yet they move forward because this love stirred them. This entire picture reaches a, uh, a climax that almost makes the world as pregnant with curiosity and hope as, with, as Mary is with Jesus. This is what we're reading about here. Now, here's a quick side note about marriage and commitment in light of what we see happening between Mary and Joseph. In marriage, God doesn't save you from persecution when you wholeheartedly follow after him. Right? Troubles will come when you wholeheartedly follow after the Lord. We also see that marriage, in marriage, God needs to be at the center of the covenant. When your happiness or your spouse's happiness become the goal of your marriage, your first and foremost priority, you'll actually end up disappointed. But if we lay down our lives 
as husband and wife lay down their lives and deny themselves and place God at the center, he will lead the two of you into greater depths of happiness and meaning that you could ever, than, than you would ever know or have been able to experience. I love what the author of Sacred uh, Marriage says, Gary Thomas. He says that the point of marriage isn't to make you happy, but it's to make you holy. Imagine if we approached our relationships in this way. So we see that love awakens us, right? That love stirs us. That love has stirred the world. That love has entered the world. But we see here that when when John was born, when Jesus was born, they were born in a period of 400 years of silence. Right? So what we need to understand here in our second point is that silence doesn't mean it's over. How many of you grew up watching Star, Star Wars? Right? So think about this. I mean, I even get the shivers watching that right now. Like, I love Star Wars. Like, literally, I will, when I write and when I prepare messages, I listen to Star Wars music. Like, that is how much I love Star Wars and how great, I mean, the soundtracks are awesome, right? Uh, but literally, when this trailer first came out, how many of you remember that feeling of anticipation? How, how many of you, even before the trailer came out, when you heard that Disney bought Star Wars and when they announced that they were going to be making not just one movie, but a collection of movies, how many of you were just like jumping out of your seat excited about that? Right? And then The Force Awakens was announced. And then the trailer came out. Right? Think about this. Between episodes 6 and 7, there were 30 years of silence. 30 years. I'm not talking about the prequels, like all that stuff that happened there. I'm talking about episodes 6 and 7. Right? There were 30 years of silence. Imagine what 400 years of silence would have felt like. I mean, 30 years of silence, if you were over the age of 30, you, I mean, you probably, if you're over the age of 30, remember watching Star Wars or hearing about Star Wars as a child, right? And it's like your entire life, it's like you waited your entire life for The Force Awakens to come out. But imagine what 400, I mean, what movie was produced 400 years ago, right? I can't even, I don't even know what 400 years feels like. I mean, there's no way that any of us can know that. What is our, 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 our grandparents, grandparents, grandparents? Like, I don't, it's so hard to conceive that many years. But think about this. When John was born, imagine how much the world had changed. When God moving was a regular part of everyone's lives, the people of God's lives, it was a regular part. Imagine what would have happened over the course of 400 years of silence. Things were unacceptable to God. There was no widespread revelation for the people from God. There were centuries of silence and almost forgotten hope. Yet silence doesn't mean that it's over. And, and I picked Star Wars. I wish I could have picked a, a better clip, but you know, copyright stuff on YouTube and all that stuff goes into play. But if you remember watching the last Star Wars that just came out, sorry if you haven't watched it, there's a scene at the end where it's like the force, what, what's going to happen? These kids, as, as much as it feels like the force is completely gone, 
these little kids seem to have it. That anticipation that you have, oh, what's going to happen? What is that going to lead to? What is that going to run? What does that mean for that Star Wars universe? Well, in the same way, when John was born, that is the feeling that everyone had. Do you see that parallel there? That feeling of, what was that? Is that, is that what I think it was? No, it couldn't be. No, but didn't you hear? Didn't you see what happened? I mean, there's no way that that could. Yeah, but I don't even know what that feels like anymore. That's that feeling of anticipation that everyone had when John was born, when Zechariah's dad was mute, came out, and was able to then speak. When when all of this happened, that was the anticipation that was going on. And here's the point about all this. What may appear to be silence to us is not silence to God. If you feel like God has not spoken to you, if you feel like God is not moving in your life, if you feel like God has abandoned you, you are wrong because he is not. What may appear to be silence to you is not silence to God. And even though you may have turned your back against him, he has never turned his back against you. Silence does not mean that it's over. God is always acting. He is always moving. And today, I believe that God wants to move in many of your lives. So when Zechariah met Gabriel and and came out of the temple unable to speak, curiosity was birthed. There was new hope. Nine months later, Zechariah and Elizabeth's son was born. And and just as they were about to name him, we read in Luke 1, uh, 61, we we see what happens, right? Elizabeth responds to everyone, right? He's like, hey, his name needs to be John. And in verse 61, Luke 1, 61, we read, Then they said to her, But none of your relatives have that name. So they motioned to his father to find out what he wanted him to be called. He asked for a writing tablet and wrote, His name is John. And they were all amazed. Immediately his mouth was opened and his tongue set free. And he began to speak, praising God. Fear came on all those who lived around them. And all These things were being talked about throughout the hill country of Judea. All who heard about him took it to heart saying, what then will this child become? Do you see that sense of hope, of anticipation, of what does this mean for us? 400 years of silence was broken when Zechariah was filled with the Holy Spirit and began prophesying. 400 years and then, even better, we see in verse 67 that, that the father, then his father, Zechariah, was filled with the Holy Spirit, right, and prophesied 400 years since the last prophecy. And we see these words, blessed is the Lord, the God of Israel, because he has visited and provided redemption for his people. He has raised up a horn of salvation for us in the house of his servant David, just as he spoke by the mouth of his holy prophets in ancient times, right? And in these ancient times that no one remembered, that we had only heard of. Maybe there are some of you here who have only heard of God working in maybe your parents' lives or in your friends' lives or in others' lives, but you haven't seen God work in your life. 
He spoke. He is speaking now. And in verse 71, salvation from our enemies and from the hand of those who hate us. He has dealt mercifully with our fathers and remembered his holy covenant, the oath that he swore to our father Abraham. He has given us the privilege, since we have been rescued from the hand of our enemies, to serve him without fear and holiness and righteousness in his presence all our days. And you, child, will be called a prophet of the Most High. Right? We know, right? We know what happens right after this. A few verses later, chapter 2 happens, right? We know, we know, thousands of years later, that Jesus was born, right? That the Son of God was born, that He lived His life, that He lived to give His life to us so that we may have eternal life in it. We know this, right? We know how the story ends, and we know not only that Jesus lived, he died, he was raised from the dead, and he ascended to the Father in heaven. But we know that in the end, Jesus will come back again. We know that the tears we experience, the hurt, the pain, the sorrow, we know that all of it is going to come to an end. We know that. As followers of Christ, we have not false hope, but we have a living hope in Jesus Christ. We know that all of this is true and we're waiting for that day when we're with our father in heaven we know that yet think about what everyone here in these verses were experiencing they didn't know that they didn't know jesus was coming they didn't know any of that was happening yet we see here in verse 76 and you child right will be called a prophet of the most high right he's saying john my son you will be called a prophet of the most high for you will go before the lord to prepare his ways to give his people knowledge of salvation right we see that in how john the baptist ushered in the ministry of jesus through the forgiveness of their sins because of our god's merciful compassion the dawn from on high will visit us to shine on those who live in darkness in the shadow of death, and to guide our feet into the way of peace, right? We know this, and we see this. We see how this silence was broken through this prophecy. But here's the thing. The point of this silence coming to an end, the point of this happening here, the point of John being born, the point of Zechariah prophesying is not so that they would be seen as honored and holy and most high and so that the attention would go to them. That's not the point of all of this happening, of God using them. It's actually to point to something greater, to this love that is about to be birthed. When we pray and we sing and we're like, Lord, here I am. Lord, may, may your love awaken me. May your love stir me, right? When we sing songs like this, when we ask God to bless us, when we ask and we, and we draw near to him, we're like, Lord, we want to feel you. We want to see you. We want to experience you. We want to worship you. Here's the thing. When God touches your life, it's not for you. It's for those that God wants to bless through you. Maybe you've been worshiping, maybe you've been coming here, maybe you've been coming here maybe haphazardly, or you read the word of God haphazardly when you are in need, and, and, and you come here and you leave and you're like, oh, that was okay, but I don't, I don't, I don't really know the point of all this, or, or I don't even know why I'm here, or, and, and maybe that's your feeling, right? You're like, I'm just going through the motions. Maybe that's because you want God to bless you for you. 
And maybe it's because you're here and you're like, God, this is all about me. God, bless my heart. My life is hard. I need to know what's next. I need to know this. And you're coming here for God to touch you for your sake when in reality God wants to touch you for his sake, for his glory. Don't be like the Israelites who God blessed. And you know, the Israelites went back and forth from being God's children. Well, they were always God's children, but being used by God and then being abandoned and being used, right? I mean, we see this all throughout the Old Testament. You know why? Because they thought that they were special. They thought that they were chosen for their own sake, for their own good, for their own purpose. No, God chose the Israelites to be a blessing to the world. That's what we see in Genesis 12. And God has chosen each and every one of you because he wants to use you to bring glory to himself and for this world. When we see here that God used Zechariah and John, he didn't glorify them. He used them so that God would be glorified himself. Are you pointing your heart? Are you pointing your efforts? Are you pointing your work? Are you pointing your life to God? Are you like a mirror reflecting other people onto God? Or are you just trying to absorb all of it for yourself? We see here the next point, that love is birthed. Or we see here that love is birthed in chapter 2. And as much as I would like to add and offer a little bit more commentary here, I'd like to actually just read through these verses in Luke 2 and then in John 1, because the Bible does the best at unpacking this point. So here's what we'll do. We'll read Luke chapter 2, verse 1 to 7, and then John 1, 4 to 16 will be the commentary. Now, how many of you, when you're doing your personal study of the Word of God, ever look at these cross-references in your Bible? If you don't have these cross-references here, um, they're in a lot of, this isn't a special Bible, this is just a normal one you can get, uh, but they're free online as well, right? Wherever you're, there's usually these cross-references. How many of you, when you're reading the Word of God, you don't understand something? You come across the point and you're like, I don't really get this. That's why we have these cross-references. Use the word to understand the word. Other people's commentaries are helpful. Books about the Bible are great. I love them. I have a ton of them. Commentaries, devotionals, I love all of it. But there's nothing better than the word of God to understand the word of God. So use the cross-references. And what we'll do is we'll use the cross-references. We'll read Luke 2, 1 to 7, and we'll use the cross-reference of John 1, 4 to 16 to understand it. Okay, let's see how it works out here. Luke 2, uh, verse 1. In those days, a decree went out from Caesar Augustus that the whole empire should be registered. The first registration took place where Quirinius was governing Syria. So everyone went to be registered, each to his own town. Joseph also went up from the town of Nazareth in Galilee to Judea to the city of David, which is called Bethlehem, because he was of the house and family line of David, to be registered along with Mary, who was engaged to him and was pregnant. While they were there, the time came for her to give birth. Then she gave birth to her firstborn son, 
and she wrapped him tightly in cloth and laid him in a manger because there was no guest room available for them. And then in John 1, we see this in verse 4. In him was life. All right, we're talking about what just happened here. In him was life, and that life was the light of men. The light shines, that light shines in the darkness, and yet the darkness did not overcome it. Right, in Jesus there is life. Verse 6, there was a man sent from God whose name was John. He came as a witness to testify about the light so that all might believe through him. Right, we see the prophecies coming true. He was not the light, but he came to testify about the light. The true light that gives light to everyone was coming into the world. He was in the world and the world was created through him and yet the world did not recognize him. Right? The world did not recognize Jesus. He, he came to his own and his own people did not receive him. Right? We see that through the life of Jesus, what happened. But to all who did receive him, he gave them the right to be children of God. To those who believe in his name, who were born not of natural descent or of the will of the flesh or of the will of man, but of God. The word became flesh. And dwelt among us. We observed his glory. The glory is the one and only son from the father. Full of grace and truth. John testified concerning him. And exclaimed. This was the one of whom I said. The one coming after me ranks ahead of me. Because he existed before me. Indeed. We have all received grace. Upon grace from his fullness. The love that changed the world. Was Jesus. Jesus didn't just change things then, he is changing things now, right here in this room. His coming had permanent impact. It didn't just change things of that day, it changed eternity for us now. So we are as much, just as much in need of Jesus today as they were then. After all, aren't things in our world just getting darker and darker? We see this in 2 Timothy 3, that the days that we are living in, Right, We see this in 2 Timothy 3. But know this, hard times will come in the last days. How many of you are going through hard times? For people will be lovers of self. See if you know anyone like this. Lovers of self. Do you know lovers of self? Do you know lovers of money? Do you know those who boast, who are proud, demeaning, disobedient to parents, ungrateful, unholy, unloving, irreconcilable, slanderers? Do you know anyone without self-control, brutal, without love for what is good, traitors, reckless, conceited, lovers of pleasure rather than lovers of God, holding to the form of godliness but not denying his power? Any of you know anyone like this? Maybe yourself? It says avoid these people. <laughs> these are the days we're living in. Avoiding these people are wise words. But here's the thing. If we avoid them, then how are they going to experience the light of God? We need to avoid them if their influence on you is greater than your influence on them. See that tension? If you are not right with God, 
then yes, avoid these people because they are probably they are probably influencing you away from God. But if you are right with Him, and every day you're coming up, you may have remembered this this acronym blessed that we've talked about over the past couple of years. Begin with prayer, listen, eat, serve, and share your story. If you are every day coming before the Lord and saying, Lord, here I am. Use me. You said that I am the salt of the earth and the light of the world here together as a church. So use me to reflect your glory upon all those I encounter. Yes, in that case, then spend time with, influence, pray for, connect with those who are far from God. People like this. You know which side you're on. You know that. Friends, we experience new life when we turn away from this, this kind of life that we read about in 2 Timothy 3. We experience new life when we turn from our own self-righteousness, when we turn from our own striving, uh, from our own trying to live our life the way that we want to live it. And and, and we, we, we experience new life when we turn away from that and instead come before the Lord and say, Lord, I am empty I'm here, I need you, have your way in me. We all know that we are sinners. We all know there's there's no one here that could have said, oh, I have no idea what 2 Timothy 3 feels like, looks like. There's no one here that could say that. We know in Romans 3.23 that it says that for all have sinned, right? All have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. We have all been self-righteous. We have all worshipped ourselves. We have all worshipped the things of this world. We have all fallen short of the standard that God has given us. This standard is not a standard of chains. This standard that God is calling us to, this life that he is calling us to, is not a life without joy. It is actually a life of abundant joy. And And he says that we have all fallen short of that because of our sin. The hope that we're talking about, that we see, is that it says in Romans 5.8, and we see all throughout the message we talked about today that, that there's this hope that was birthed in this world. Romans 5.8, it says, God proves his own love for us and that while we were still sinners, while we were living the way that we lived, that Christ died for us. Right? It wasn't that, hey, clean yourself up and then God will accept you. No, God accepts you. And that is what is going to, he is going to be the one that gives you strength to get cleaned up. The religions of this world say, do before you get accepted, if you are ever accepted. Whereas God says, I accept you, now come. Romans 6.23 says, right, if we pursue and we continue in the ways of sin and in the ways of self-righteousness and in the ways of living our life the way that we have been living it, we see in Romans 6.23 that the wages, the result of this type of life is death. Yeah, I know a lot of times we talk about eternal death, but actually living a self-centered life God, you are on the side, I am here in the middle. Living a life like that does not only result in eternal death, it actually results in present death. 
in going from one hopeless thing to the next that never satisfies. But if you turn to the Lord, we see that the gift of God is eternal life. Not just eternal life, not just life eternal, but life present, abundant life through Jesus Christ. And we see that the only way that we can experience that life in John 14, 6 is through the only one that can give it, Jesus. Because he and him, and him alone is the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father except through Jesus. So friends, today you can turn. Maybe there are some of you here who, who you're like, yes, I know God has forgiven me. Yet these past days, these past hours, these past weeks, these past months have not, have not gone the way that you've hoped. God has continually been nudged out. God has been continually nudged out of the way when he used to be at the center. Friends, if that's you, you can turn today and experience the new life that Jesus has already given that he says, it is already yours, just turn around. Because sometimes what happens as we live a life that is, that is, that is walking, where we're walking away from God, and, and if God is here and we continually walk away from him, living our lives the way that we want to live, avoiding him, we feel like, okay, maybe God is calling us back. You ever get that feeling where you're like, someone's watching me or someone's there, and, and I, I, I feel like they're watching me, but, but you're so full of shame and guilt and, and, and burden, and you're just like, I don't know if I can face them. I mean, what if they're going to point out this in the way that they've, I've hurt them, and, the, and, and we feel this burden, we feel this guilt, in that we just get weighed down and down and down, but we feel like we've gone too far to turn around. Yet Jesus is saying today, turn around because when you turn around you'll see that Jesus is right there behind you like this saying shh I know just come maybe that's you today maybe you've never turned to Jesus and you're wondering why you're here you feel this pull in your heart. It's not stomach pain. <laughs> it's not what you ate last night. It wasn't the beans at the Mexican restaurant. If you're feeling this pull in your heart that you can't explain, if you're just feeling this, what? and there's just, I can't explain it with words. If you're feeling this, this is God saying, come to me, all you who are weary and heavy burdened, and I will give you rest. That is what he's saying. That is Jesus knocking on the door of your heart and saying, open up. All you got to do is turn around and open up, and I will change everything for you. If that is, if you are feeling that, that is him. Don't ignore it. Don't leave today without accepting that.